Welcome listeners to the second IR Without the Bull podcast. If you're interested in industrial relations, politics, life in Australia in general, you'll be listening to this podcast. And you'll be really interested in today's podcast because we have our first guest, Mr. Paul McAleer, the Sydney Branch Secretary of the MUA, the Maritime Union of Australia. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for the invitation. It's very interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, our listeners, I think, will be interested to know a bit about you, Paul, because the MUA has a pretty fearsome reputation. But we'll get to reputation shortly. listeners find out who you really are, they'd probably want to know one thing. Did you ever reckon that your life would take you down the path of being an elected trade union official? Never. Um, I never believed when I was a young man that I'd end up in the situation that I am. I'm in an incredibly fortunate situation being elected. Uh, As a young person, I had all hopes and dreams about different jobs. Um, But when I left school, I I was a labourer. Uh, My father was a bricklayer builder and I often uh, would be hired out to various trades to um, perform various labouring jobs for them for the day or the week. So to end up on the waterfront, uh, which was just an incredible opportunity for someone like me to be employed in a wonderful job in itself, very interesting job, working on big ships and in big machines and then to be elected into office on the back of being a delegate for a number of years was just one of the most amazing experiences of my life. So I never believed for a second that I'd ever be involved in a, in a, in a job that I'd love, um, that I'd ever be given an opportunity to, to participate in a union like the MUA, which just provides us all with the most amazing opportunities, not only locally, but, but globally as well. So I'm incredibly fortunate and never believed for one second that I'd I'd have the great fortune to be in the situation that I am today. Was there a single event that really made you think about unionism and trade unions? My grandfather was a welder, boilermaker, and he was in the AMWU and its predecessor unions for over 50 years. He was a wonderfully beautiful man, a tough man. He led a tough life. who had poverty inflicted upon him and his family um, for many years and he had instilled in him beautiful values which were obviously passed on to my father and and him on to me but I think um, my understanding of trade unionism largely came from my grandfather. Why, Why do you say poverty was inflicted on him? What happened? Because of the brutal nature of the system. Um, I come from an Irish Catholic background Uh, We came to Australia um, just after the Great Famine in Ireland in the 1850s and whilst we um, weren't Irish, 
um, we grew up in a in a, an Australian Catholic family. Um, we had that sense of injustice and the continuing um, brutality of discrimination and exploitation um, raised with us. And we, you know, he used to sing all the old rebel songs, and we um, often would discuss the the nature of the British Crown um, and. He grew up in an era where Catholics couldn't get jobs and he was denied employment opportunities uh, because he, you know, his name was Pat, Patrick McAuley. And that sense of uh, injustice was often exposed to us and he was born during the Depression and obviously many working class families from all sorts of different backgrounds uh, experienced that level of what I believe is, is a torture um, and it has generational consequences. And I think him more than ever, uh, you know, placed upon me the, the values and a lot of the, the politics that I, I currently have, but it wasn't served up in that way. He, uh, he wasn't a communist. He uh, was working class labour. Um, he was a, a, a religious man. Um, and he just had to put up, we didn't put up with it, he, he, he was involved in a union, was involved in many um, actions to improve the lot of uh, metal workers and boiler makers and welders and in the broader working class. So he also lost his fingers in a welding accident during his apprenticeship as a 16 year old and uh, that made life extraordinarily difficult. He had to learn to weld in his other hand and. You know, when, when you turn up to the job with, with, with one hand, basically, um, and you're welding, there's, um, there's going to be a lot of opportunities denied you. But he worked through that and worked his guts out for his family. Uh, he had a, a, a severely uh, disabled son, um, and it just made life tough. And that would have been your uncle? My uncle, yeah. He, uh, he had cerebral palsy, and there wasn't the... The, the health system that we have today and um, it's very sad to see someone denied basic health care and treatment which could have significantly improved his life um, but I take a great deal of inspiration from him now even though he's been passed away for a number of years and I think it had a big impact on the family and how we, we view people um, who are suffering and view people who um, don't have the opportunities that many of us, you know, enjoy. Do you think that your members, the members of the MUA, might take what your union gets for them for granted a bit? I think there's a tendency for all people across society to uh, take things for granted. Um, not just in our workplaces, but in our lives. Um, for many of us, it's just dumb luck that we've ended up in the situation that we have. That's certainly the case for me. I answered an ad in the paper. Uh, I've never taken for granted the sacrifices that activists and previous members and, and their elected representatives have made so that I could enjoy the conditions that I did on the waterfront. 
Um, it's just one of those challenges that we have in society that uh, if you're not experiencing that daily struggle and understanding the, the impacts uh, of the various forces, then you're likely to not understand just how hard they are to achieve. But for the great majority of our membership, we have incredibly high density uh, across all of our sectors. I think that there is a general understanding that without the MUA and its history, um, we'd be living in the poverty that we were prior to the, you know, the 1930s and 1940s when the um, communists took over the union. Do, do you see? Do you see society as making people more equal or less equal at the moment? Well, at the moment in Australia, no one could deny that we're becoming uh, increasingly unequal. All of the statistics and data suggest that we have normalised casualisation and precarious work. We have normalised the wealth gap growing. We have normalised women being discriminated as a gender. Uh, there aren't many areas in our life where we could suggest that there is an improvement in equality and that is institutionalised um, in our parliaments, in our workplaces and in our communities. So you reckon you're going backwards not forwards? As a union or as a movement or as a society? Well, to the extent that the union is contributing to some moves in society, it sounds to me like you reckon you're on the defensive. You're not heading north, you're heading south. Well, we're definitely on the defensive. Um, there's no doubt that the whole prevailing wisdom of our society is that unless we allow ourselves to be further exploited, then our system isn't going to provide us with our needs. It used to be largely about our wants. What do we want? You know, do we want more leave? Do we want more this? Do we want more that? But now we're defending our basic needs. And I think that that is an extraordinary situation to be in, in the 21st century, when we've got access to the, the greatest technological advancements that we've ever seen. We've got opportunities to create an environment where people are succeeding across our community and yet we have a system that is punishing people um, that restrains them from fighting, restrains them from pursuing equality and all of those wonderful things that we all know. I mean, it would be ignorant for anyone to suggest that improving our quality of life across the community doesn't benefit the entire community. I can't understand why we reward wealth in, in, in its extreme form, yet deny people the opportunity to meet their basic needs. So you would have been probably more than a little disappointed with the outcome of the last federal election. I was incredibly disappointed for the entire Australian community with the outcome. It hasn't just set us back for three or four years the legislative agenda of the current Conservative government and parliament for that matter, there's a lot of uh, incredibly conservative independents that are willing this government on to enact more 
prescriptive legislative changes that hurt the union movement but also hurt society. And I think the, the tragedy of the election of this government isn't the election of Scott Morrison as Prime Minister, it's the legislative reforms that they're going to implement over the next three years which are going to have significant negative effects on the entire community, not just the trade union movement. Uh, we've fought tougher governments, not only in this country but around the world and have succeeded. People are always willing to fight. But what we're seeing is the, the voiceless, the dispossessed, the disenfranchised, um, who have no confidence in the, the current parliament, um, have their position further entrenched. And it's going to be a shocking three years for, for progress in this country. Did you see the loss coming or, or were you surprised? I didn't. I'm, I'm either enormously optimistic in, um, in my life or enormously pessimistic, which is an unfortunate um, thing to have to, to deal with on a daily basis. You go up and down like a roller coaster. But I, I was very optimistic that, that uh, Labor would be elected. It appeared to me that um, every poll suggested that a Labor victory was imminent um, and that wasn't the case. And if you could say anything to the current leaders of the Labor Party, Anthony Albanese and his team, what would you say? Give trade unions the space to fight for social, industrial and political progress, which is what we've always been best at. Um, I don't need their help. Uh, I don't believe the Labor Party is a party of... Um, radical reform. It is a reformist party uh, that goes along with the, the swings and roundabouts of the um, economic, industrial, political and social life of this country. Um, the union movement's at its best when we are prosecuting a case against any government to implement progressive reforms, radical reforms. Uh, and the Labor Party is at its best when they have a community of activists, supporters and believers in their program, and that's increasingly dwindling. So I think the Labor Party need to reflect on the trajectory that they're on. It's a similar trajectory to the trade union movement. Uh, we're not relevant to too many working class people, and I think there's a number of reasons for that including the fact that we're completely and entirely constrained and restrained in building a, a working class culture of progressive um, reforms. And we're all suffering the consequences of that. It's not just trade unionists that are suffering, it's the broader working class and I think society as a whole. I mean, it sounds a little bit to me, um, and I suspect to our listeners, that you're feeling a bit isolated and under siege. Do you think I'm being a bit unfair when I say that? Not really, but I'm probably not the, the best person to speak to about that. Uh, you know, you, you catch me on a different day and I'll, I'll be very excited by our prospects. I, I believe... Have, have I got pessimistic, Paul, today? I think I? so. Maybe I'm a bit um, cautious about what the next questions are and don't <laughs> want to be led astray. But basically, um, I've 
always had a tremendous optimism in the capacity of human beings to implement incredible change, radical and revolutionary change. And all of the best parts of our society are based on a few militants or a few revolutionaries or a few radicals being brave and courageous enough to fight for that for that platform, which has given us, you know, huge and substantive change in our society that has basically been co-opted by people that fought relentlessly against those changes in the first place. So do I feel a bit under siege? Perhaps I do, but not as an individual. I feel under siege as, as a member of the working class and I hate seeing discrimination. I hate seeing injustice. I hate seeing oppression. I hate seeing exploitation. And everywhere I look, I see it. And it, it is disarming and it is isolating and it is frustrating. And that is always gonna have an impact on, on how you view the world. Did your father inherit your grandfather's I'll use the word, it's an overused word, I'm going to use it, passion for the union movement? No, my father wasn't a member of a union. He was a um, bricklayer builder. Um, and he, he, he's still working today. Uh, but he is a, a labour man through and through um, and believes that, you know, effort should be rewarded. And... He, he's got a very good um, sense of the community and what we need to do to improve it. But he's not a trade unionist. Uh, he's come to a number of our rallies to support us. I think he largely supports what I say and do, but he's not a militant socialist or a revolutionary or an activist. He's just uh, a hard-working, um, working-class guy who's trying to do his best. What about your own family? You, what, do you worry about the future for them? Well, I do. My mum's still working as well. My mum's a, a, a member uh, of her union. and uh, She works um, hard as well. She's worked her entire life, either as a, a full-time mum or as um, a worker. And she has a tremendous sense of justice. And... Um, I get a lot of my fighting capacity out of my mum. My mum is absolutely fearless and always has been. Um, she's tremendously ins inspiring. And um, she comes from a, a dairy farming family who basically lost their farm as a consequence of automation. Uh, they couldn't afford to automate their farm and therefore lost it. Uh, and she worked as a tea lady in, at Holden um, in Pagewood. Uh, and in various other jobs, and she was denied opportunities because she was a woman. Um, so both sides of my family have uh, an inspiring um, working class culture and legacy, and I think about them every day. What was the question again about, about <laughs> my family? Right. Uh, yeah, it was whether you worry uh, of for them I do. the future. I, of course I do. Um, it, 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 all of my thoughts are directed towards the impact of this system on my family, um, on my class, and on my community. And as often as I possibly can, I reflect on not just what my family is experiencing, 
um, but the broader community. And I hate what I see. Um, often I get concerned about why others don't see that, but often people are struggling to get through their day and don't have the opportunities I, that I do to reflect on the enormous consequences of the political system, the economic system uh, has on us all. But I, I worry tremendously about the, um, the future that my kids are gonna grow into, um, that their friends are gonna grow into, and what that society will look like. Well, you'd, you'd have, I would think, some level of exchange with some union officials in the USA, uh, because for our listeners to this podcast, uh, there is still unionism in the USA, uh, particularly on the waterfront. So, Paul, have you spoken to them about what's happening in that country? Well, we're obviously very close with both the ILWU and the ILA, the two unions that represent dockers on the east and west coast of the United States, along with the other maritime unions. Um, they don't have one uh, national in the United States. They still have uh, a number of uh, maritime-based unions and the, the two big dockers unions are probably the two most powerful unions on earth uh, in many respects uh, because of the, the leverage uh, that they have in the economy uh, and also the, the militant traditions that they, they have. So we get very much um, kept up to date. We have wonderful relationships with them as we do with many other maritime unions around the world and they're facing a very similar fight uh, obviously automation uh, but also uh, governments that continue to prosecute a case for the dismantling of the powers that the union movement has in the united states they've got um, in many ways better laws better industrial relations laws in that country um, than our own and that's disappointing and for a whole host of reasons uh, but they have very much a, a rights-based culture and those rights and freedoms to exist uh, serve them well. Those unions that are able to utilise their industrial capacity and um, they're, they're two very good examples of what you can achieve for workers and their families and communities if you fight as hard as you possibly can. Gee whiz, you surprise me. I think you'll probably surprise our listeners too when you say that there are aspects of the US uh, system that are better for unions than Australia. I think that'd surprise a lot of people. Well, there's a lot of commentators that are a lot more intelligent than me on this, but the way that I view their system is, is one of enormous inequality, um, systemised and institutionalised inequality that will never be improved uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, we have safety nets in this country that I think protect elements of society, not all of it. Um, our Aboriginal people um, certainly do not um, exist in a, a framework of you know, advancement. They're, they're denied every opportunity possible to um, build their culture, um, build on their traditions uh, and build on their beautiful legacy that they that they created over tens of thousands of years but i think generally speaking we have a better safety net than the united states but it's a better social safety net a better yeah. social safety net but um that doesn't exist for all communities in the united states and we're seeing the consequences of racist legislation in the united states against immigrants 
um, they looked to Australia to enact that legislation. They, they, they viewed Australia's um, legislative suite on refugees um, as an example to the world, and it's certainly an example to them. So there's aspects of American society that obviously is better than ours and, and, and vice versa, but at the end of the day, they're both terrible. Um, they both inflict extraordinary trauma on the on the on the working class and on the communities um, that we that we live in. And to suggest that either is a, a benchmark or a goal or an objective is quite frankly um, ridiculous. And um, I, I, you know, I could speak for another f- four hours on that subject. <laughs> okay, I wish we could hold our podcast listeners for four hours, but I suspect we won't. Um, in closing, Paul, is what we've tried to do in this podcast is show our listeners the, the, the man behind the title and people hear MUA and I think it makes a lot of people around Australia nervous. If you could say one thing to our listeners and the public generally about the MUA, what would you say? The first thing I'd say is that I do not see myself as an individual isolated from our, from our union, um, from our community or from the working class. There is nothing that Paul McAleer would be um, without all of those areas. My family, um, my experiences, my union. Um, and I, I think too many of us look to individuals um, rather than the collectives. The MUA is a beautiful collective and if people are nervous, good. I want them to be more nervous. I wish we were terrifying our parliamentarians. I wish we were terrifying our legislators. I wish we were terrifying the entire ruling class. But the fact of the matter is, behind all of the rhetoric, um, we're, not, we're not an organisation that is terrifying. We maximise to the extent possible the opportunities and outcomes for our members as best as we can. Um, we challenge the law, um, that's quite obvious. Um, we break bad laws, that's obvious, and we'll continue to do so. The only reason why we have been able to provide our members with permanency, um, with conditions that give them a, a quality of life that all workers deserve, is because we have always been willing to sacrifice what is necessary in order to achieve them. That's not enough these days. Um, we're seeing brutal attacks on our union um, from conservative commentators who, who are trying to blame the MUA and other unions, the CFMEU uh, and our new union, the CFMMEU, um, as these propagators of, of, of ill will and of everything else that comes into their, um, their thoughts. But we aren't that type of organisation. We are an organisation that has prided itself on being always at the forefront of every social justice cause um, in the last 90 to 100 years. We have been at the forefront of struggles for Aboriginal rights, against nuclear weapons, against apartheid, against imperialism, for, um, for gay and lesbian rights, um, for... If, if anyone in the community is being attacked, they ring the MUA up and ask how we can support them. We've recently been involved in providing water for communities in northwestern New South Wales who are being denied water. Um, not to shower, not to you know, wash their clothes, but to drink. And 
If anyone is concerned about us fighting them because they're inflicting that level of pain on the community, then good. Um, but we are a union of, um, of workers. Um, we are a union of people, um, of normal people who go about their lives in, in absolutely normal ways. Men and women who are involved in their communities, who are involved in their football clubs, their surf clubs, right across the community. Um, they are entirely normal and you couldn't tell a maritime worker or an MUA member from you know most of the rest of the community. Uh, we just have a union and have had a union that's instilled in us the right to strike, um, the right to fight and a tremendous legacy of anti-authoritarianism. If, you know, if we're told what to do, we'll probably do the opposite. And I think that we reflect a great Australian culture of larrikinism, um, of mateship, um, of, you know, I, I, I say we're the rebels, ratbags and revolutionaries union, you know. Um, we, we are a broad cross-section. Um, we are made up of wonderful people, scallywags and all types. And I love it. I love our membership's willingness and um, continued willingness to sacrifice for the greater good. And if that's not something that every Australian should be proud of, then I, don't, I think we've got to work out what, what does actually Australian mean. Paul, I want to thank you for being our guest today. I particularly want to thank you for being so frank and open with our listeners. I think they'll really appreciate it. I'm sure they're going to love ratbags, rebels and revolutionaries. Um, I think I might even try and steal that as a title. Oh, okay. But we'll give you, we'll give you, we'll give you proper credit for it. Excellent. And thank you to our listeners for listening today. Um, in our next podcast, we're going to be talking to a captain of industry. So it will be interested to, interesting to hear um, what that captain of industry thinks about some of the things Paul's had to say today. Once again, Paul McAleer, thank you. Um, and yeah, it was terrific. Thank you.